0: Hello and welcome to the pre-med years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome, welcome to the pre-med years. As I mentioned earlier, my name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week for the pre-med years podcast. This week is no exception. We are back with another amazing guest. Somebody who I'm excited is going to be a student at the medical school where I teach. And we'll dive into that later on in the episode. But this is a student who I helped with her applications. We didn't really dive into that much. Uh, other than talking about her personal statement. She's a student who took a very nontraditional journey to get to medicine, starting off college pre-med, finding another passion, and then coming back to pre-med and eventually now starting medical school. You'll hear all about Sarah's path and so much more when we dive in and say hello. Sarah, welcome to the Pre-Med Years podcast. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: When did you realize that you wanted to be a physician?
1: That's, for me, it was a long and winding road that did not have a definitive start or a definitive, well, I guess where I'm at now, I'm about to go into medical school, so that's sort of the end, but also the beginning. Uh, So growing up, my mom passed away when I was seven from breast cancer. And after that, when I was 11, my dad remarried and he actually remarried a surgeon. And so I was around medicine from a very early age. Uh, I was good in school. Everyone said, "You're good in school. You should <laughs> do science. You should be a doctor." Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, I went to college and I, I was pre-med. I shadowed my stepmom a little bit in high school, and I thought what she did was pretty cool. And my older brother was actually accepted to medical school when he was a senior in high school. Um, so he was one of those pre-acceptance programs. And so I had a lot of medical influence in my family. So I went to college pre-med. And while I was in college, I started tutoring a bunch. And I found out that I loved teaching and uh, decided that maybe instead of a doctor, I wanted to be a teacher. And so I decided, rather than to pursue medicine further, to pursue a career in education. And went on to do that after. <laughs> did that (laughs) after I did that for a while so I went and got my master's and then I taught for three years and after teaching for three years I decided that I wasn't quite satisfied with where I was at and I started thinking again about going back to medical school through a lot of different influences and uh, then I became convinced that I was really meant to go to medical school so that's my path convinced.
0: All right. Well, well, we'll get back to that convincing part, but I'm interested to know your brother going to medical school too. Do you know what drove him to medical school?
1: You know, we've never really talked directly about what drove him to medical school. Um, I know we've talked a lot more about what drove him into the specialty he's in now Um, we didn't talk a lot when we were, uh, more like college age, but we've gotten closer since I decided actually to go back to medical school and he's given me a (laughs) lot of advice. Um, so we've talked a lot more about him choosing, and and I think if he looked back, he was pre-accepted and so he just went straight through and, um, it's quite a different path than
0: mine. So he did one of the, the BSMD programs or BAMD programs.
1: Um, so it, not exactly because it wasn't um, necessarily, I know there's some programs where you do two years and then you move into the MD and they're directly linked. This wasn't directly linked at all. Actually, part of the aim of the program, and they've gotten rid of it now, but part of the aim of the program initially was that to give pre-meds who were definitely gonna go to medical school a little bit more flexibility, so they didn't have to like take the MCAT and they didn't have to major in some sort of science and take all the prereqs. They could take whatever they wanted. That was part of the idea of this. Um, And so through his program, he was really, he could have been a literature major and taken no science courses and still gone to medical school. But everyone that I knew that was in that program still majored in biochem. Of course. Yeah, exactly. I did all the prereqs and did all the shadowing and did all the pre-med stuff. And so I think it was a little bit um, selective for that type of person.
0: That's funny. Yeah. All right. Enough about your brother. I want to talk more about your decision to go pre-med. And then you're like, well, this tutoring thing. Was it, was it so much that you really liked tutoring or was it that you were kind of doubting the pre-med stuff?
1: Well, I would say I was, I really liked tutoring and that is definitely true. I kind of got pulled into tutoring by accident. I just needed a job and saw an advertisement and applied to it and was like, this is great. (laughs) Um, I was not very proactive about seeking opportunities in the pre-med field. I lived on a floor with a bunch of pre-meds in the dorm my first year, which was an interesting experience. Um, Put a bunch of freshman pre-meds together, make them live together. That's interesting. (laughs) So a lot of my friends ended up being pre-med, but the actual experiences of going into the hospital and shadowing and doing things like that, I didn't pursue very much of. And so... Why not? Maybe... Well, probably part of it was, I think a little bit of it was, I was more mature. And I think I, I kind of thought I knew everything already about it, having doctors in my family. And so I didn't think that I needed to see more. Um, I think that also, and I would say, no, I think that's wrong. Uh, But I think that's probably how I thought at the time, being 19. And I think that I didn't necessarily connect with some of the other pre-meds who lived on my floor. And I think that was part of it as well, is that I didn't feel like those were more my people. Mm. And that kind of um, pushed me away from it. Although I think now, had I been more proactive, I might have found people who were pre-med that were my people, but that wasn't something that I really spent time seeking out.
0: The pre-med culture at a lot of who am I kidding at at almost all schools is pretty negative, pretty cutthroat. When you say they weren't your people, it, was it from that point of view that they were competitive or that you just didn't jive with them just personality-wise if if they were pre-med or not?
1: Yeah, I think it was a little bit of um it was a little bit of both. I I don't necessarily think it was really competitive and cutthroat. Um but it was a little bit it felt a little bit like everybody was out there trying to prove themselves um, and prove that they were more interested in medicine than you were. <laughs> and uh, I ended up being like, okay, you are more interested in medicine. And, and I was really curious about other things. I'd been around medicine my whole life, and I was really curious to explore other parts of life. And they didn't have that same curiosity, so that was sort of where I saw our personalities kind of diverging.
0: It's funny most most people think like oh you're you're the the daughter stepdaughter of uh of a physician and and your brother's a physician right? the 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 golden spoon of pre-meds and you're here saying well that kind of actually hindered me a little bit because I wasn't super interested in continuing to go search out more medical stuff and I wanted to explore other things so it's it's interesting that most people think just because you're a, a kid of a physician, that that obviously you want to do that, and it's going to be everything that you want to do and more.
1: Yeah, I would say having physicians in my family uh, helped me, but it it also. I know a lot of children of physicians who say, including my two little brothers. I have three brothers, and my two little brothers say we are never going to do medicine <laughs> <laughs> because. It's just you really see from a close perspective how much work it can be and how challenging of a career it can be. And um, so it has given me a lot of great perspective. But yeah, in some ways, when I was younger going through college, it it pushed me away a little bit.
0: When you went off on your master's path and decided that you wanted to be a teacher, instructor, professor uh, kind of person, did you keep medicine in the back of your mind and continue to shadow and get clinical experience or was that kind of uh, that part of your life shut out and this was the journey that you thought you were going to go on?
1: I was pretty committed to working in higher education. I would say that I put medicine off the table completely, however, <laughs> my family never did and every once in a while when I was having trouble with, you know, having finding a job or not making enough money my stepmom would always say you can always go back to medicine she gave me these nice subtle hints and uh I, i had some friends who were doctors and i think i it was always in the back of my mind that if i wasn't totally happy that's something i would consider uh but i wanted to do my best to really um build a successful career in higher education and and that was my focus for a while before i realized that's not what i wanted to do
0: yeah it's it's funny we can't we can 't run an experiment to to see what would have happened but i I talk about it all the time having a plan b and and that kind of hurts your plan a and i I always wonder like somebody like yourself who had this plan b plan b for you was medicine, and your plan a was was higher education and i wonder right when you when you have a rough spot or when you when you ran into other issues you 're like I I guess I could always go back to medicine versus somebody who doesn't have that plan B. It was like, no, I'm just going to figure it out. I'm going to make it work and and keep doing this higher education stuff. So I'm always interested in that journey.
1: Yeah, that is interesting. You always say don't have a plan B. Mm -hmm. That was really hard for me when I went and I was applying to medical school. Not having a plan B was really difficult.
0: Yeah. Well, your plan B was just continuing higher education because that's where your world was.
1: Yeah, I suppose so.
0: What was it that that eventually drew you back to this you're You're working in higher education you're in Colorado working at a at a university, teaching rocks <laughs> and uh, and you're like, "I think it's time
1: It was a variety of things, and it it was sort of both a slow and a fast process at at some point in my teaching career, I realized. I wanted to keep progressing in my career, and I had a master's. And in higher education, to progress, you really need a PhD if mm-hmm. you want to keep moving up the career track. um, After getting my master's, I realized that I, um, I didn't want to go on to get a PhD in geology. So my master's is in geology, and I was teaching earth sciences full time at a university. So I didn't want to get a PhD in geology, <laughs> and so that put me at this place where I was like I want to move forward with my career I'm not totally happy with where I am but I don't necessarily want to get a PhD and move on in higher education and so I had to sort of think critically about what sort of career would fulfill everything that I was looking for and what I love about teaching and I think there's a ton of overlap with medicine is that you really impact people you help people you work with people every day um and you get to deal with science, which is always something that I liked. And so I saw those commonalities in medicine. And I thought, maybe I should think about this more. So at that point, I started, uh, I started having a lot of discussions with people, with my family members who were in it, um, with my friends who are in it. And then I started shadowing as well. And I sort of just slowly started building in. I started volunteering and getting more involved. And uh, seeing what more experiences I could have and was this really a path I wanted to go down? Because at that point, you know, I, I've been out of school undergrad for six years now. And so I knew that going down this path would be, I would be, I'm going to be 30 in my, you know, it'll be a while before I get done. <laughs> and it's like, do I want to take this on at this point in my life? That was something I really had to think about. And, um, I knew it would be a long journey, and so I spent quite a bit of time searching out those experiences.
0: What What about those experiences convinced you that this is right for you?
1: I just loved every minute of when I was doing just about anything that was medically related. So I loved the shadowing. I thought them science of it was really exciting. I thought it would be really exciting to learn all those biochemical mechanisms just really got me going. Um, I loved, you know, seeing the patients it and the physician-patient interactions. Um, it, it showed me that it would be a lot of what I was, what I had with my students, building those relationships was really important to me. And I, I could see that I could do that. I know it's not exactly the same, but I think there's some strong similarities. And how you get to impact and influence people. And I knew that was really important to me. And so I saw those, um, I volunteered in hospice a bit and that was sort of to see if I would really like working in really hard situations with patients. And I just absolutely loved it. I loved building the relationships with the patients. Um, And I watched some surgeries and I thought they were the coolest thing ever. So every minute I was in some sort of medical setting clinic hospital, wherever. I was just having a great time. And I was so, more, so much more excited to do that than um, to necessarily teach my third lecture of the day that I thought, <laughs> this is what I should be doing.
0: When you realize that, that this is what you're supposed to be doing, you're, you're working at a university and you're several years separated from being a quote unquote pre-med. How did you figure out those next steps?
1: Well, I'm glad you asked. I, the first step that I took because I was at a university was I went and talked to their pre-med advisors and they told me, they were pretty negative about my application. They said, (laughs) (laughs) said, yeah, (laughs) you're probably no one is going to accept your coursework because it's so old and you should probably take a year and get some clinical experience or patient care experience because you don't have very much of it.
0: Mm-hmm. How old was your, your academic stuff at that point?
1: In their defense, it was pretty old. <laughs> I mean, I took intro to biology in 2008. So some of the courses that were on the MCAT I took 10 years ago. Okay. But um, I graduated from college in 2012. And I mean... So some of my pre-med coursework was somewhere between 8 and 10 years old. Um, it, so I, I did my research, and, and I kept talking to people. Uh, and I, I, got, I called some universities and asked them about the whether or not – I didn't find anything on anybody's websites about whether or not courses expire. And I called some universities and asked them. And I got different results from the medical schools that I talked to. Some of them said, oh, yeah, we're not worried about that at all. Just do well on the MCAT. Mm -hmm. And some of them said, we would be kind of concerned. Um, And I will say that the ones that I applied to those universities, and they, they said, we would be slightly concerned, but we wouldn't reject your application just because of that. And so I applied to all those universities. And the ones that said they would be concerned, I didn't get an interview from Yep. And so it, I do think it's really worth listening well if you do call a medical school and talk to them to how they respond to your questions. Because some schools really came across as being like, that's no big deal. And those were the schools I got an interviewed at. So
0: yeah, really listen to the tone of their voice and how they're yeah. talking to you.
1: I think sometimes it can be deceiving because you talk to someone and you're you're not quite sure who they are and if they will really know what the admissions committee is going to decide, but I would pay more attention retrospectively. If I could do it again, I would pay more attention to what those people said than I did. Yeah. Yeah.
0: When, when you called, are you just saying, Hey, uh, I took classes eight years ago. Are you going to accept them? Or did you go into a whole spiel about who you are and uh, how amazing you are and why you'd be a good student? And what were those conversations like?
1: So it, um varied per school so there were two schools that i knew i was really interested in uh, and those two schools i called them and kind of tried to get more in depth with them build more of a relationship one of those schools i would say it worked well at and the other school i would say was not they were not very open to that um but with those schools i called and it was i would say to my advantage that i had not yet applied so I called and said, I'm thinking about applying to your program in your, in, in the future. One of these was where I graduated from an undergrad, and so, you know, I would, like, make those connections. I would say I went to undergrad there. I'm really interested in coming back, um, and I want to apply to your program. What Can you help me figure out what I can do to be a competitive applicant to your program? And that's how I would word that question. And then I, you know, they would say, oh, well, tell me a little bit about yourself. And then I would kind of lay out the experiences that I had. And we would talk about, you know, maybe what gaps I would have in my application and what they would look for. And so those conversations, while I said one school was not very open to it and they basically just said, no, we don't answer those questions. um, The other one was really helpful and they gave me lots of really good advice. And then I called quite a few schools just to ask, One of the barriers that I ran into was that I have been out of school for so long. I did take all my pre-med requirements except for one class uh, when I was in undergrad, which was quite a while ago. And a lot of med schools ask for two letters from professors. Um, (laughs) I am a professor. I couldn't write. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I called and asked about that specific question. I had only one letter and I said, you know, is this going to be an issue? Could I give you another letter from someone who knows me well, a volunteer coordinator, you know, my boss, my department chair. And, um, you know, the same thing I said about the other schools is that some some were really open to that and some said, I mean, some were just flat out, no, this is a requirement. And so, With those schools, I didn't go into a whole spiel. I said, I've been out of undergrad for this many years. Here's the situation. Do you accept this? And they gave me a yes or no answer.
0: Yeah. And it's amazing. I I think not enough students take advantage of the fact that there's somebody at the school who's going to pick up the phone and answer your questions. And especially, as you said, not being a current applicant and saying, I'm applying in the future, gives you a little bit more leeway when you're calling and, and the advice that they can give you. So... Uh, I I hope students aren't gonna go blow up the phone lines, but they're there. the The admissions office is there all year round, not just during application season to to answer your questions. And to your point, right, the schools that are telling you no, we're we're pretty firm with our letters of recommendations. You can bet that those schools are probably not very non traditional friendly. They want more traditional students, or else they would be more flexible with their requirements.
1: Right. And the other thing I would say, if you're going to call schools, which I encourage because I had a great experience with it, is that be mindful of when you are calling them because during interview season and during application season, they're very busy. And lots of times their offices are staffed by very like a surprisingly small number of people. Mm-hmm. And so it's just maybe a little bit polite. I, I was always received really well. I would say, hey, I know you're in the middle of application season. I promise I won't take up very much of your time. I have a really short question. Yeah. Um, and that always seemed to be received really well yeah. because they sort of are always constantly busy. So.
0: And you're asking very specific questions to you, and you're not just calling to be like, oh, I, I bet if I call and introduce myself, then I'll get my name known and I'm just going to ask them some random question. I, don't, I wouldn't play that game. Right. Yeah. When you were looking at schools to apply to, what went into your kind of decision matrix to to pick schools?
1: Well, I uh, only applied to MD schools. Um, Why is that? Because of... You know, I <laughs> we, we
0: had this conversation before, so I, let's rehash this.
1: <laughs> uh, I sought out a lot of advice about this. And um, so I only applied to MD schools because what I've heard is that sometimes being at an academic center can make certain things more fluid, such as where your clinical rotations are going to be, they're going to be associated with... Um, the academic center associated with your medical school, rather than separate academic centers, mm-hmm. um, you
0: and let me let me, me flush that out for a student who might not understand what that means. the The majority of DO schools aren't affiliated with big academic hospitals like the majority of MD schools are, and so it can make things a little bit more complicated for DO students.
1: Right. So, just to expand on that, you might you go to your school for the first two years, and then when you're in clinicals, you're traveling around to different hospitals. I met one student who was out in the Denver area from um, a school in Kansas City where he did his DO program and he was on his third year out in Denver and he was telling me that he had like four or five hospitals slash clinics where he he said, I have to get a badge at every one and it's really confusing and so, it just seemed a lot more hectic that way. And um, having two MDs in my family, they they both were super supportive. The DOs are great doctors and you can go to a DO school and get a great education. Um, and it's not going to really hinder you in any way other than your clinical experience might be significantly different. And the other thing that they said was, um, you know, I think... Uh, Unfortunately, there still is a significant bias out there in some of the surgical specialties. And I knew that was a potential interest to me. And I did not want to put myself in a position where I would have more trouble matching. Um, And so in the long term, I felt it was best for me to apply MD and if I didn't make it to apply again.
0: Yeah. Okay. So besides MD only, what else went into your decision?
1: Well... I am single, and so I didn't have a partner to necessarily make decisions. We didn't, I didn't have to figure that out. So basically, the world was my oyster. I could travel anywhere. As far as like moving for schools, go. I didn't have any – I didn't necessarily – I grew up in Missouri, and then I've been out in Colorado for six years – So I wasn't necessarily opposed to moving again. I did look at schools in the Midwest to be closer to my family and, of course, looked at schools around here, although there are not very many schools in the West, and a lot of them are very state-specific. And so um, I applied to schools in the Midwest and then a few in the West, a few on the East Coast, and a few in the South. So I sort of applied all over. And uh, I chose... How many total schools? I applied to 20 total. Okay. And if I could go back and do it again, I would apply to 15. (laughs) I applied to 15 and then I was worried it was too little because I talked to someone and they were like, I didn't get any interviews. And I applied to this many schools and I freaked out at the last minute and added five more schools, which I don't think was the best idea. But um, if, yeah, so I looked at programs that I spent a lot of time reading mission statements and things like that and trying to find programs that I felt like aligned with who I was as a non-traditional student, as someone who kind of has a different background than a quote-unquote traditional pre-med, although no one is really traditional um, when you get into it. Everyone is, there's so much diversity, I think. Um, But I I looked for schools that maybe had an older average age that said things like, we value diversity and and things like that. And then I, I love rock climbing, and so I looked at places where I could rock climb.
0: When, when you ended up applying and, and going through that whole application process, what was the hardest thing for you?
1: The hardest thing was after I had gone to a couple interviews and I was just waiting for something to happen. Uh, I am very I'm okay when I have something to do so the whole interview process the whole application process I was working on something I was writing a statement or a secondary or practicing for interviews and preparing and as soon as I didn't have any preparing to do that was the worst for me because I was so nervous I was just waiting and you don't know how long you're going to be waiting you could wait and you could hear in August or you could hear in July of the next year, you know, it's a whole year long thing. And so it's, for me, that was really stressful.
0: Yeah. Now, another thing about you is you identify as LGBT and that is a a big part of an application. So many schools now for secondaries are asking questions if you identify and they have a whole list of different things that you can check off. How did you incorporate that into your applications?
1: Yeah. So first of all, I'll say that incorporating into the, that into my applications was a really difficult decision for me. I worried a lot about whether or not disclosing that information would uh, prejudice people against my application in any way and whether it was worth it. Uh, but in the end, I felt like I identify as bi and I felt like identifying as bi and how it's shaped me and the experiences I've had with that really is going to influence my future career. It influences what I want to do in medical school. I want to be involved in um, LGBT groups and advocacy and things like that. And I want to be an advocate as a physician for these populations. And so I, I think that I saw it tying in strongly with my career and what I was looking for in a medical school, and so um, I I thought it was really important that I did include it. So your question, that was not exactly your question. Your question was how I incorporated it, right?
0: Yeah. Well, I I think why and and the decision to incorporate it was a uh, a good thing to talk about as well. But but I I think you talked about just uh, incorporating it into. Um, what you hope to do in the future and and how that ties into the school as well when you when you were researching the schools were you able to find a lot of information whether they are lgbt friendly or what that community is like or if they have outreach programs for that community at each school
1: that was interesting because i definitely looked for that and uh, i would say that i had Very mixed results. Most schools, I would say, have some sort of statement that they have some sort of LGBT student group. But whether or not you can find out anything about that group, some of them have even their own webpage, and some of them just, they have them listed on their student groups, and you don't really know anything. You don't know if that's up to date, you don't know if people are actually participating in it, you don't know really what that looks like, um, and it was something that I didn't necessarily want to seek out the information. Uh, once again, opening up potentially, you know, my application to more scrutiny me than was potentially necessary, and so, If I did have an interview there was, I I would ask more questions at the interview day about it. And that again was pretty mixed in what I could find out. Um, For example, one school was really awesome and they had uh, their LGBT group actually come talk to all of the interviewees at the interview day and they gave us tons of information. And another school I, I had seen it listed that they had a group, but I hadn't been able to find anything out about it. And I asked some of the students and they didn't even know the answer. They were like, I don't know if we have one of those. <laughs> and I, I thought that's probably not a very good sign. And so uh, it was it was pretty mixed uh, in terms of how much information is out there and how successful I was in figuring out that information.
0: Because it was part of your application, personal statement, and and secondaries, how much of that came up during your interviews?
1: No interviewer ever directly brought this up, uh, which I thought was was interesting. Um, I did have the closest anybody ever came One student who was interviewing me, because sometimes you have medical students interviewing you. Um, One student said, I really liked your essay about diversity. (laughs) I said, oh, thank you. (laughs) Uh, And that allowed me to sort of bring it up in a natural way. But it it never directly came up. Sometimes I would get questions about diversity, kind of general questions. Um, But it wouldn't really come up unless I directly brought it up.
0: If, if somebody asked you a question about diversity, would you bring it up in that sense? Cause you had already kind of opened up about it in your essays and stuff.
1: I kind of try. So the first couple, the first couple of interviews I went on, um, I, I actually, so I had four interviews and I used a variety of strategies because my strategies kind of changed around this. My First couple of interviews, I was very open about it and talking about it. And if they asked me any question in which I felt like I could bring it up, I would bring it up and talk about it. And I got some interviewers who were very positive, And I felt like after I talked about it, the interview actually got like more warm and friendly and um, th- they responded very well. And then I had some interviewers that I felt the opposite. So I would say something about it and I would feel like the interview would kind of, Cool off, and they didn't really know how to respond. And so, after that, those mixed experiences, I became a little bit more cautious about talking about it. And so, my last couple of interviews, I didn't really talk about it directly at all. I would just kind of talk about generally how diversity was important to me and how, you know, I wanted to be an advocate for underrepresented groups without necessarily singling out one group. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was. You know, I was comfortable either way. But when I got negative responses, I would say that I became less comfortable. And so I felt it was better just to talk in, in generalities. And And that's just my personal preference. I think everybody is going to have their own experiences with this. I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with talking about it directly. Um, those were just, you know, the couple experiences that I had that made me a little bit more cautious about it.
0: Yeah. What ultimately do you think led to having a a successful application?
1: Oh, everything. (laughs) It's, there's so many factors that go into the application that you can't just say one thing.
0: (laughs) But it's MCAT and GPA, obviously.
1: (laughs) I think those are a really big deal. (laughs) Those are, whenever anyone is asking me, in the last year I've worked as a scribe and whenever any fellow scribe would ask me about their application, I would always ask them about their MCAT first because that's what the school looks at first, right? MCAT and GPA. And then they look at everything else. I don't know, that's my theory.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a good theory.
1: Yeah. So uh, I think that if it, it helps that I had a good MCAT and GPA, I think that it helps that I worked hard to fill in everything else as well volunteering research what else do you have to do leadership yeah i think that it's such a it's a multifaceted thing i think one of the things that really helped me along the way was spending a lot of time especially in the interview process and beyond but spending a lot of time in self reflection and thinking about who i was and how that was going to play out in my future career and how that formed me to be who I was today. I mean, that's a lot about what the interview is like, or is about, but that's also a lot about what your personal statement is about. And I think by being really honest and spending a lot of time really going deeply into that, it uh, helps me a lot throughout the whole process. And I, I think it'll help me in my future too. So yeah.
0: Yeah, understanding who you are is very important, and we worked together on your your personal statement. I think you had fifteen or sixteen drafts of it, so you yeah. you did uh, you went above and beyond there. Yeah. <laughs> what um, for for the student out there who uh, who maybe is part of a, a underrepresented group and is wondering if they should bring that up in an application, bring it up in an interview? What sort of advice do you have for them?
1: My advice goes back to what we were just talking about. Spend a lot of time thinking about who you are and what's important to you. Ultimately, for me, it came down to this feels like a part of me that is really important, is really going to shape me in the future and has shaped me to be who I am today. And it's something that, even though it's a little bit scary to share this part of, of myself because it's it's deeply personal to me, I felt like it was also something that was really meaningful. And so I, I thought it was something that I, I should share. Uh, and I think that it goes back to you know knowing yourself and knowing, are, are you going to be comfortable? Do you want to do this? And do you think it makes your application meaningful and you know, is it important to you? I think those are all good questions to consider.
0: What does the future hold for you?
1: I am starting medical school in one day. <laughs> Uh, and so I start my orientation tomorrow. I'm going to go to medical school at University of Colorado and I'm going to rock climb. That's my future.
0: Nice. Rock climb with uh, a book in your hands.
1: Yeah. Yes.
0: That's awesome. Well, I, as a instructor there, I look forward to to meeting you and helping you learn how to communicate with patients in the future.
1: Oh, I can't wait. It's going to be great. <laughs>
0: All right, there you have it. Again, that was Sarah. She's starting her medical school journey here at the University of Colorado School of Medicine. And I'm excited that I get hopefully get to teach her, continue interacting with her at the medical school. Now, we talked a lot about her story, her journey, being part of the LGBT community and what that meant for her applications and the questions that you should be asking yourself if you... Uh, are part of that community, if you identify as part of that community and whether or not you want to identify yourself in the applications as LGBT. So do some soul searching, ask some questions, re-listen to this podcast and see what is right for you because ultimately that's the answer. What is right for you and only you? I hope you have a great week. I hope this podcast was helpful for you. If you're interested And my help with your personal statements, your interview prep, go to medicalschoolhq.net and click on store to find out how I can help you on your journey. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.